Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His majesty. His marvelous majesty. How wonderful to be in his presence this morning. We could just stay here all day, couldn't we, and just sing these songs because he's so, so wonderful. But I believe he has something to say to us further through the word this morning, so we're going to come to him now. I'd just like to pray. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our lead and our guide. We thank you that you reveal Jesus. We just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you will give us revelation as we spend time in the Word. Holy Spirit, I pray we will be tangibly impacted, that our hearts will be changed when we leave this morning for the glory of the King of Kings, His Majesty. Amen. 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 Um, for a little while, I've been pondering on the whole uh, subject of what happens in our homes and the, the issue of hospitality. It's been buzzing around in me since Christmas, really, just feeling that there's something the Lord wants to say to us through that. And as we were going through Romans, uh, particularly there as well, in the last chapter of Romans, where Paul makes mention of all the different people that he has receive hospitality from and has also um, mentioned homes where a church was born or a church was started. The home of, the home of, the church that meets in the home of. And the home is mentioned so many times and, and I just thought Paul has just gone to so many different homes. He's been fed, he's been watered, he's been given something to eat, something to, somewhere to sleep, he's been encouraged, nourished, he's been blessed financially. And churches have also grown in those homes. And so I've been uh, thinking about that. And I think that the fact that we uh, changed what we did with our life groups in the autumn term is significant, very significant, in the grand picture of everything that God has been saying to us. Um, A few weeks ago, Chris followed um, Richard Jones's super amazing PowerPoint that took us through the history to Joshua. Uh, He encouraged us with a word that the preparation is over and it's time for action. I listened to him on the podcast. I recommend use the podcast if you don't already. And then last week, Richard Pemberton encouraged us that we needed to be fit for the mission and that our bodies are for the mission. And I think we've been well set up. I'd like to take it a stage further and say our homes are for the mission. Um, So the question is, how do we start? We've been told preparation is over. We're fit and ready. So how do we start? How do we get into the boundaries and beyond that the Lord has spoken to us about? And uh, in reading Joshua chapter 2, you don't need to turn to it just yet, Uh, There's a lot about what happens in a home and the hospitality in that home that releases so many things. And so I want to look at those this morning. Um, I'm not going to teach you. I'm afraid I'm not going to give you any Hebrew or Greek. It's not my strength, and I wouldn't dream of attempting it. Uh, However, I hope that there will be some inspiration and 
I guess what I want to do is to tell you something about this chapter that you may or may not know, but also I want to take you aside in it and just say, have you thought about this? Have I thought about this? I want to ask some questions as we go through about our own practice and our own lives and our own approach to the world. I've been very blessed to hear the words coming through about how much God loves us and God loves the world. And uh, that's uh, something that we carry in us all the time. He loves the world. So uh, the title for my um, encouragement today is Let's Go to Rahab's House. And Rahab's house is in chapter 2 of Jericho. I'm just going to give you a little background. Jericho was a very, very influential city. Um, It was 1,000 feet below sea level had a huge wall around it, as you're probably aware. Everybody who went to Sunday school, you learned the song about going around the walls, and the walls came tumbling down, and etc. There's a 26-foot watchtower in that wall, which was situated so that they could keep an eye on any enemy attacks. Um, within Jericho itself, it was like a, there was a kind of oasis. There was a very, very strong source of water in Jericho, which meant that from it... There was a lot of uh, fields and things were became very, very fertile, and lots of crops could be grown, and minerals were in the, in the ground. That means Jericho became a very prosperous and wealthy place. It was very influential. A lot of business went on in Jericho. A lot of people passed in and out of it on business. It was rich in resources, and it was very, very powerful. Quite... Um, overbearing, really, in that sense. The culture, however, was very depraved and highly degenerate. Uh, The people, the Canaanite culture, the people in Jericho were idol worshippers. Jericho had a supreme god, the moon god, and a number of loads and loads of other gods. Worshipping these idols involved many, many horrific pagan practices, There was a lot, that is an understatement, of sexual promiscuity. There were perversions, particularly associated with fertility cults, as well as the horror of child sacrifice. It was a dark place, a dangerous place. Um, It was a place of wealth, but grotesquely indulgent in sin, The streets were full of disease and infections. People were given over to lustful desires and their lives were ravaged by evil and ruled by evil. A city of dark and depraved deeds. It doesn't sound too good, does it? Not somewhere you'd pick to go as a tourist. Uh, Within those walls, there was uh, a lady called Rahab the the prostitute and she had a house. And it was a part of the walls. It was in the walls, built into the walls. It was made of mud, uh, as the walls were. And uh, she provided hospitality for travelers that were going in and out of Jericho in her house. Some people say it was a bit, she made it a bit like an inn or a hostel where people could get uh, food and drink and rest and all kinds of hospitality. she was a prostitute. That was her, part of her work in running that place, as far as I can read, although it is a little bit contentious. 
Um, and Canaanite tradition offered hospitality to visitors and travelers according to their practices. Um, she also worked in the fields and gathered flax, and she also gathered grain to sell. She was a businesswoman in some ways, a single woman. She would have entertained all kinds of people, been engaged in all kinds of sordid activities. She had to look after herself and was familiar with all the comings and goings in the city. She was familiar with all that was rotten and bad in the world and surrounded by the stench of death and disease. That was where she lived. Now, I think we'll read chapter 2, and let's hear what happens at Rahab's house. It's going to come up on the screen from you, from the living, New Living Translation. And uh, I'll read, and if you'd like to follow, that would be great. We're going to read all of chapter 2 and just the end of the story in chapter 6. So, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come into your house, for they've come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath a bun bundles of flax that she'd laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River, and as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer you our lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they've returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When you come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. 
and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Chapter 6. From verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town. Obviously, a lot's happened between these two readings. They've been around six times. Now they're on their seventh time round. Verse 16. As the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. So there's some instruction then. Don't take any um, metal items, etc. And then verse 22. Then Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then we read the town is burnt and 25. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house Because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Isn't that a fantastic story? Mm. It's a bit like a movie, isn't it, as you read it? You visualize it, and you can imagine it. It's a bit like a movie, but it isn't a movie. It's a real event. It's an account of something that really happened It's not a story about walls coming down because everybody shouted. It's a much bigger event than that. This is an account of genocide proportions. This is coming against wickedness of an extreme measure. God's wrath poured out against a disobedient people. But these spies were sent to Jericho, and they were sent to have a look at the land around Jericho. I think that's what we read. Well, here's my question. Are we ready to be sent to somewhere like Jericho? Or to a community that is very, very different to our experience of community? The spies didn't say, hang on a minute, Joshua. Not sure if we want to do that. They just went. They were radical. They were taken up with the mission and they were passionate about the mission. They didn't question. They went. It's a very short bit of scripture there. He sent them, they went, they went to Rahab's house. The strategy for those spies was where can we go where we can meet people 
who can start to give us information that will help us with our attack and our approach. Um, they were radical spies, radical Israelites. They were totally for the purpose and the mission of God. They knew what Joshua had said to them, we're going to be successful, God's told us to go, right, this is our bit, we're going now. We're going to a deprived city, we're going to Jericho. They were bold and courageous. I felt really challenged by that. Would I go? Does God want to send me somewhere that I've already closed my mind to? Because I just think, oh no, I can't, I can't go there, I can't go there, I can't get into that. It's a question that I'm asking myself. The strategy was um, the house. Let's go find what's going on. Let's go have something to eat. Let's go and have a rest. Let's go where all the people are different to us, where they all believe different things, where they all practice different practices. Maybe some of them are ill. Are we going to catch anything from being in the same house? Um, but they went. They went there because they were radical. Anything else didn't get in their way. And it made me think of some radical people I know and some radical things that I've heard. And I remember some very beloved friends of ours who are with Jesus now telling us how they crossed the border from Uganda to Kenya when God spoke to them in a dream and said, you need to get out. You need to go tonight. And they didn't question it, but, you know, the border, how are we going to get across the border? What happens if we get taken by as prisoners and there's a great big uprising going on? Is this why? None of that. They got in the car, they went. They got to the border, all the guards fell asleep, and they went straight through. But they were radical in their approach. I remember hearing a story about um, ministries going into China and uh, into Asia being hidden in lorries, in the back of trucks with the sides down, so they could get in with the gospel, they could go meet people. And it was like, oh no, we can't do that. You know, what happens if we get taken? What happens if we end up being taken to prison or taken captive? What happens if we're killed? What they were in the back of a lorry, hiding, like the spies hid under the flags. They were hiding, but they were on a mission, and they were going somewhere, and they were radical. I remember hearing about how a friend Ted and Bryn drove a car uh, across Europe, they wanted to get through the Iron Curtain and um, they packed the car with Bibles under the seats, in the doors of the car, under the bonnet, in the boot. They packed Bibles everywhere so that they could take the gospel into Eastern Europe where it was a complete shut down uh, area for the gospel. But these were radical actions, radical people sold out for the gospel, sold out for the purpose of God. I was watching Billy Graham's uh, story recently. He went all over the world. He made a lot of sacrifices, but none of them got in the way of being a radical minister of the gospel, going into all the nations, going into royalty, going into presidents, going everywhere, radically. And I'm asking the question, are we radical enough? I remember reading the, the book, The Radical Christian. It set me on fire. Am I still burning like I was when I read that book? Are we radical? Rahab was also a radical because she actually, in that moment, in those first two verses, she makes a decision in her mind. 
She decides, I'm not going to shop these spies. I'm going to hide them. Because she'd heard something. And I'm going to come on to that. But in that moment, in that decision, she effectively did this. She turned her back on all of her culture, her city, her upbringing, and everything. She turned around and said, I'm going to hide the spies. I give up my allegiance to anything else. I'm going to hide the spies because they've got something I want and I need. At Rahab's house, there would have been a lot of talking, swapping of stories, rumors, people chatting about what they've seen as they've traveled in and around Jericho from different parts of of the region. And uh, somebody in the shop Rahab and went to the king and said, I've heard that there are spies in Rahab's house. But she wasn't scared. Well, she was maybe scared, but she didn't allow that to stop her. She hid them because she knew she needed what they'd got. Here's a question for you. Do we expect to get our direction and our... Oh, beg your pardon. Before I say that, let me just say... um, Rahab risked her life for the spies, but she had what the spies needed. She had the information. She was the one that God used to give the spies their advantage. Do we expect to get our direction and our instruction only from those of us that are in here or from the elders or solely from just reading the word because God spoke through this woman very significantly to cause that campaign to be a success are we limited to how we think God is going to speak to us or use us are we limited to what we're used to are we limited to what we're familiar with Have we closed our mind to an enormous God who can do whatever he likes, in whatever way he wishes, with whomever he chooses, or whatever he chooses? We need to break out of some patterns of thinking and expectations, maybe. We mustn't limit God. I think sometimes it's good for us to be a fish out of water because it puts us right back on our dependence on the Lord. Do we have prejudices that that prevent us from uh, meeting certain people or going to certain places? Do we have preconceived feelings, views um, that mean that uh, we need to keep a distance? See, Jesus wasn't like that. In fact, he rebuked the disciples for exactly that reason. Jesus actually had several encounters with women who'd been caught in adultery. In John 8, 11, the, woman, the people wanted to stone the woman who they found uh, in adultery. And he said, you know, which one of you is, who's, who's going to throw the first stone? Which one of you is perfect round here? And they all cleared off. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go away and sin no more. But he says, I haven't come to condemn you. Do we have that attitude? Do I have that attitude? Or do I have some prejudices and think, well, it's your fault? Or, you know, do I have some... Bla- can, I, can I make reasons out for it that aren't are prejudiced, really? Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus esteemed her, raised her up. 
he didn't despise her. In Matthew 9 and verse 10, it says Jesus ate with disreputable sinners. That's who he had his meals with, disreputable sinners. Isn't that great? I love that. And then he, he listens to the Pharisees who refer to them as scum. I hate that. I hate that. Because God made everyone. And whatever condition they're in, they're not scum. They're people that God loves. This woman was pivotal, Rahab was pivotal. A prostitute, a single lady, a businesswoman, well-known in the city of Jericho. Her house was a very strategic place for the mission. Her house was really important now because it's a safe house for the spies. It's a place where she makes her big turnaround. She's a radical, the spies are a radical. At At Rahab's house, you'll find radicals. Now, verses 9 to 11, they go up on the roof and they're having a chat. And uh, really, Rahab is putting her plea before them in in chapter 2. And uh, she's asking them for various things. But the reason that she's doing that is because she has heard something. I don't know if you picked up on a couple of times in the scriptures that we read. It uses the word hearing, what they've heard. And... uh, At Rahab's house, there were reports. There were all kinds of reports. But what she heard was that the Israelites who had uh, dealt with the kings, who had been taken through the Red Sea by God, she'd heard that they were on the move and that their God had done all those amazing things. She'd heard that. And because she'd heard that, it was changing her action. In Romans 10 and verse 14 to 15, it says, How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. They heard something. Okay, so here's the question. What are people going to hear when they come to your house? What are you going to say when you go to somebody else's house? What declaration are you going to make? How are you going to challenge people? How are you going to um, embrace people into the kingdom by telling them how wonderful God is and the good deeds that he's done? We heard an amazing testimony from Andy last week about his business and how the Lord had uh, brought them through a very difficult situation. And faith had come by hearing But those um, legal people that he was with, they heard something. I'm a Christian. They heard something. He said something. I was with a lady this week, and she was telling me about her little girl who has hearing problems. And um, I said, well, would you like me to pray for your little girl? My son was born profoundly deaf. But the Lord, Jesus, healed him. And he's got perfectly normal hearing. Wow, she said, really? I said, yeah, would you like us to pray? And Diana and I prayed with her at the end of the morning. She's heard something. We, we have to give people something to hear. Otherwise, how can they believe? How can we not open our mouths and confess what God has done? Faith comes by hearing. 
Do you know what happened? They lost all their courage to fight. Their hearts melted in fear. They were trembling in fear because of what they'd heard. You know, the enemy is completely uh, dethroned by what we say because we bring faith. Somebody can believe. We can snatch them from the kingdom because of what they've heard. Oh, hallelujah. We've got so much to do, haven't we? At Rahab's house, you will find radicals and you will find reports and confession. And at Rahab's house, you will also find hospitality. I discovered earlier in the year that I've got a misconception of what this means, hospitality. Hospitality is not necessarily um, having all your friends around and giving them a meal. Because the word hospitality actually means friend of the stranger. Friend of the stranger. Or love for the alien. Neither a friend or an acquaintance, but a foreigner, a newcomer, or an outsider. Not a friend, a stranger. Not an acquaintance. Could be a foreigner, a newcomer, or an outsider. In other words... Somebody you don't currently know. Somebody you haven't met yet. They may not believe what we do about marriage. They may not believe what we do about the environment, about sexuality, about politics, about faith. They may not live like we do, but Jesus died for them and he loves them and he wants us to know them. He wants us to know them. There are communities of people that need to be touched with the gospel that we haven't touched yet. Not everybody is here today who should be here. I'm not talking about people who are members and they're on holiday, but there's a lot of people that should be here today and they're not. That's a provocation to us, isn't it? I'm not beating us over with a, a hammer here, but I'm just saying, let's get on with it. Let's go to Rahab. Let's do this. You know, because there's a lot more to do. Have a look round. We represent a very small cross-section of a very complex, multinational, multicultural society. All ages. We may not live in Jericho, but our society out there has largely got no fear of God. God loves all mankind. They are meant to be his image bearers. They were made to be like him. And they are not yet. But as we are hospitable and meet them in homes, in coffee shops, in bars, in gyms, etc., and invite them into our home, or we get invited into their home, yes, I love that get invited into their home, then we will see people starting to change their allegiances and make a turn and walk into our homes and walk into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We have got a lot of opportunities ahead of us to reflect the unconditional love of Christ. Are our homes just somewhere where we go and chill out, plug ourselves in, recharge, build up our energies for the next day? Or are they 
places where people come with us and they're incubated into the love of God? Or are they where places where people come and they get sent out to go and become missionaries or uh, carriers of the gospel to anywhere? What, what are our homes for? Much more than us just going and sitting on a sofa and having a cup of coffee in the evening and saying, gosh, that was a busy day, and then going to bed. There's a lady called Rosaria Butterfield, who you may have heard of. She uh, used to be a, a lesbian, but now she's a born-again Christian. She was um, a very intellectual sort of lecturer of uh, politics and ethics and social things. Um, anyway, I can't give you the whole story because it will take too long. But for her, you know, it was two years of being welcomed into a Christian home. She was doing some research for her degree and she needed to talk to somebody about the Bible and why they read the Bible and issues and questions about the Bible and the ideas in the Bible. She went to this house for two years, was given a meal, enjoyed just company talking, change, swapping ideas and thoughts and saying, well, this is what I think, why do you think that, and all of that. Um, and then actually found, without even realizing it, she was being embraced into that family, and she was feeling loved. She was feeling very secure and safe. She knew she was okay there. People accepted her just for who she was. This is before she'd made a, dis a decision. Um, there was... Uh, an abundance of unconditional love. And she gave her life to Jesus after that period of two years of time with them. And they, the uh, couple she lived with said they, she became like our daughter. And they pursued her with love. And she gave her life, life to Jesus. Um, and you can read that story. Some You can ask me about it afterwards if you want to. But I'm reminded, you know, of Jesus, when the leper in Luke, came away from the leper colony and found him. He knew he was sick. He knew he was diseased. He knew he needed help. He went in search of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say, well, hang on a second. Let me get my mask, gloves. Right, we'll meet over there now. There was none of that. Now, are, are we ready to be alongside people that are, could be challenging because they don't believe the same as us or practice the same practice as us? Are we ready for that? Are we ready for more of that? Do, do we actually look forward to having those conversations where we can express unconditional love and draw people into the kingdom? Yes. Remember Harry and Phyllis years ago? It was difficult to keep up with them because every week they were picking up a hitchhiker. Um, they were picking up somebody from a bus stop. You know, all strangers. They just kept picking up strangers all the time, bringing them back to their home, giving them meals, then finding out where they lived and then taking them home. Hospitality, that couple. They expressed true hospitality. They love strangers. They love, <laughs> they absolutely love strangers. What a fantastic blessing they are. I asked the same with uh, Ted Nestor. I remember taking one of them to the hospital and Ted had made a friend in the, in the hospital, made friends with everybody in the hospital. And I was driving him home and he said, my dear, do you mind if we just go down this road and down there because I met a Muslim man in the hospital and he lives at that address. I'd just like to go and see if we could meet him. He might like to come and have a cup of tea with us. I was like, but you've just come out of hospital. You need to go home and rest. But no, his mind was on the stranger. Yeah. Hospitality. 
reaching out to strangers. I remember uh, meeting a lady in Gabrielle's house who was selling the, ish, the big issue. And she'd met her on the street in Colville, I think, and uh, had a conversation with her. And I met her in Gabrielle's home that time. Bringing strangers into the kingdom of God. Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And the Lord wants us to put the lonely in families. Um, there are places and homes that God has prepared us to visit, prepared for us to visit. So in Rahab's house, there's radicals, there's reports, and there's hospitality. And then in Rahab's house, there is Hesed. So I <laughs> told you a little uh, untruth there. I have snuck one word in there. But if you look at uh, verses 12 to 14... In chapter 2, I love this. Uh, Rahab, this is the, the, the plea, the plea of Rahab. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family. Since I have helped you, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live along with my father and mother, brothers, sisters, and all their families. See, I feel like there's a lot of Rahabs out there. I just feel there's a lot of Rahabs who are saying, will you let me live? Will you let me live? Will you be kind to me and let me live? Can you give me a guarantee? That little phrase, be kind to me, is actually the word hesed. And that word hesed means an unusual kind of unconditional love. It's the love that Jesus showed when he gave his life for us on the cross. We didn't deserve it. It was his kindness and his mercy. He went to the cross and gave his life for us. And you notice in uh, verse 14, the, the uh, spies say, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. Can you see Jesus there? We offer our own lives as a guarantee your future is guaranteed if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. This is hesed, this is covenant, this is promise. But it's a promise based on an unconditional love. You see, Jesus loves without condition. He loves all people, all nationalities, all people, whatever condition they're in, he loves them. He laid down his life for the whole world. And Jesus was in Rahab's house in this form of hesed love. Hesed means to do or make covenant loyalty. Rahab and those spies, they made a covenant together. It means aid in keeping alive one's family for future generations. This promise, this covenant, was for not only her, but for future generations. It's loving kindness, it's faithful love in action. 
It's God seeking after man with love and mercy, faithful to his promises, laid down for those who were not worthy, just like me and you. We were not worthy, but he pursued us, and his covenant love laid down his life for us. And in this little house, in the walls of a decrepit and depraved city, the love of Jesus is spilling over and securing generations to come. I love that. Little did Rahab realize what her request would eventually release for her. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in her house. Here's a question. Is there Hesed in your home? Do we express Hesed to those who come into our homes, our life groups, our gatherings, our events, our occasions, our bumpings into people? Do we express Hesed, unconditional love, merciful love, faithful love, kindness? Because those, that Hesed love is powerful, very, very powerful. That is the Hesed love that one, the lady I was referring to earlier, to Jesus. Uh, Rahab uses a rope. In fact, it's her idea to chuck a rope out of the window so that the spies can escape after they've made their um, arrangement, their promise, their commitment to one another. This woman, Rahab the prostitute, was God's choice to direct the conquering of the city of Jericho and the salvation of her family and her friends, her family's friends. She is, interestingly, a female leader. It's a woman who has this moment in time, who has this uh, faith, this radical faith. It's a woman. I'm encouraged by that. Sometimes we don't hear so much about radical faith-filled woman, women. But I'm here to tell you, have a look at Rahab. She is amazing. And there's no reason why any of us can't be. Or aren't. In fact, we are. I know we are. Uh, she's a female leader for her family. She takes responsibility for her family, although she's a single lady. She doesn't discount herself from pleading for the promise and think, but I used to do this. I used to be like this. I'm not married. I've run this place and all these things have happened. None of that comes into it. She is just pleading, save me, save my family. Nothing gets in the way. She's captured. Furthermore, she's effectively saying to those spies, you know, I've treated you as if I was an Israelite. I hid you. Would you return the kindness? Would you let me live? And my brothers and sisters and all, those fam- all their families. She was almost saying, I feel like I'm one of you. She doesn't want to be trapped and die in that, I call it, a hell hole. She does not want to be trapped or die in a hell hole. Amen. Will you let me live? 
when the, Paul and Silas were in prison and they started praising God and the prison doors flew open. The jailer was afraid and he says, uh, it says, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. Your household. What does your house hold? Whom does your house hold? Who are you holding in prayer? Who are you holding with hospitality? Who are you embracing? Who is in your household? Because the Lord wants households to be saved. Everyone in your household. God loves to save whole families. He loves family. And he loves to save people. (laughs) Finally, there's radicals in the house, there's reports in the house, there's hospitality in the house, there's hesed love in the house. And finally, there's rescue at Rahab's house. Chapter 6 and those last few verses, the end of the story. I really feel like I'm getting to know her quite well. Well, no, as much as I can in this, but she's making an impact. The instructions for Rahab is that she has to stay in her home with all the relatives and the relatives' families. Say nothing and make sure that the red cord hangs from the window. The same way that the spies escaped. By the way, that was Rahab's idea, to chuck a rope out of the window. Makes me think a few people may have escaped that way before. Out it went, off they went. But now, now it has a totally different power. Totally different meaning. It's just a rope. It's a red rope. It's just a rope. But it is the key to rescue and salvation for them. The rescue is coming to the household of Rahab's house. Her house is a safe house for her family and friends. Safe houses. This is a safe house. This is a safe house. You know, people sometimes come in here and they can't get over the atmosphere and they feel safe. I remember a lady coming who was agoraphobic and uh, I met her many, many years ago. And I, um, I said, you ought to try and come on a Sunday. You know, it would be good. You'd really enjoy it. She plucked up the courage, bearing in mind she wouldn't leave her front door. There was all sorts of history there. She was very agoraphobic. But she walked in and she said, I can't believe it. I feel safe. This is a safe house. Our, our homes are safe houses. We can go to a house and it can be safe because we're there. We can go to a place, a gym, a coffee bar, a library, whatever it is, because we're there, it is transformed. It's a safe house, a place for them to take refuge until they are rescued. And you see, it's so important. It's mentioned a few times. They must be in the house. They've got to be in the house to be safe. Now, that is like a, a check to me. If we want people to be safe, we've got to get them in the house because they are not safe unless they're in the house. Yeah. So people that we 
love and want to see them to come to Christ, we need to be having them in our house as much as possible. We need to, to be loving them, enjoying their company, discovering more about them, and letting them discover more about us and enjoy our company. Our houses are refuges. Um, the rope hanging out of the window, as I'm sure many of you are already cottoning on, reminds us of that daub of red paint that went on the doorways of the Israelites as the angel of death was coming across searching for homes where death could strike. It was the red paint on the door that meant that that house was safe and secure and would escape death. And this rope, red rope, certainly for Rahab, I think just shortly before this chapter, they've been celebrating Passover in the Israel, Israelite camp. Passover is something that would have, would have been in her mind, or she would have been aware of. But uh, for us, maybe more, we think about the blood of Jesus Christ when we see that rope. That's what I think. That's why this morning singing the songs so wonderful just to remember that the cross, the blood of Jesus, that was our escape from death. That was our rescue from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That blood of Jesus has covered us, cleansed us, filled us with power and life, and we are new and born again. That's what I think when I see that red, red rope. It's, it's escape. It's rescue. It's the blood of Jesus. There's nothing power than the blood of Jesus. You know, and these spies, they only had one instruction, which was, you are to follow the instructions exactly. Do exactly what we've told you. Otherwise, we can't be held responsible. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. He is the only way that you can come to salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He is that red cord that was hanging in the window. He is a declaration of that house. This is a house where salvation lives. That red cord is a proclamation. It's a sign. Our homes are places of signage, proclamation, demonstration. This is a house where salvation lives. Rahab and her family and friends are rescued. Her house remains intact. Just a little thought occurred to me this morning. This is an aside. Her mother, father, brothers, sisters, and then all their families, they were living in Jericho. They were Canaanites. They were not perfect. They were part of that culture. They were all swept into the kingdom of God as they go down that red cord out of that house and make their way into a promised land. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. And Rahab was the one that must say, Dad, I know, I know it's been nine days since that rope's been hanging out the window, but don't worry, they're coming. They're coming. We've given our, our lives for one another. They're coming. Ten days. Mum, it's definitely going to happen. Just be quiet. Don't say a word. Stay, stay. 
Rahab and her family and friends are all rescued. The house is intact. That's the building itself was intact, but everybody in it was intact. And they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. You know, Rahab means enlarge. And the space where she had been living was crushing. It was like a prison. She was squeezed between the walls of Jericho, literally, in her home. But the red cord was going to bring her into a larger place with room for everyone. Out of Jericho and into the promised land. Rahab's home was a gateway into a different kingdom where peace, joy, and faithfulness would abound. When that family left and were rehoused, rehomed, they were, given, they were given a new beginning, a new identity. They were given a new family and a new home. We have to bring them out. Joshua said to the spies, bring them out. Bring her out. Go and get them and bring them out. We have to go and get them and bring them out. Bring them out of darkness. Bring them out of death. Bring them out of prison. Bring them out. Rahab's house was a house of radicals, risk-takers, It was a house of reports that brought faith. It was a house of hesed, faithfulness, unconditional love. It was a house where there was rescue and new beginning. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of that happening in all our homes and in the homes that we visit as well, in our gatherings, in all kinds of places where we are gathered with others. But it doesn't finish there. There's one final thing. There's a restoration for Rahab. Bless her heart. She's done everything. She heard. She had faith. She put her life on the line, hid the spies. She pleaded for her family. She secured their future. She had them all intact. One lady. One single lady. But in Matthew 1.5 we find she appears. And where does she appear? Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was father of Jesse. Rahab makes her way into the lineage of Jesus Christ. She becomes a legitimate bride. She is restored. The past is truly gone. She's married and she has a son. She's in the lineage of Jesus. In fact, she's David's great-grandmother. How wonderful is that? I think that could be taken into lots of other kinds of 
thoughts, but I'm not going to do that now because I don't have the time. But also she is mentioned in Hebrews 11 and verse 31. Because if you remember at the end of the story in Joshua 6, he says, and she lives to this day in this place, something like that. Let's have a look. It says, uh, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And Hebrews 11, verse 31 says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She lives to this day. Her faith is for us there in chapter 11 to inspire us. So I'm going to finish up with some questions. What about all the Rahabs in our cities, towns, and villages? I'm going to ask the men if you wouldn't mind exchanging Rahab for a masculine name and just consider. Or maybe I should say, what about all the men and women like Rahab in our cities? towns and villages? Have they heard anything to make them know about God or fear the Lord? Have they been in our homes or have we been in their homes? Are we extending hospitality and care and sharing ideas and extending unconditional love of God to others who we wouldn't normally mix with, strangers? Are you ready to go to Rahab's house? Are you ready to go to Jericho? Are you ready if, you, if the Lord sends you? Are you ready to go? because he's going to send some of us to some places here and maybe abroad as well in other nations. He wants us to go there. He's spoken to us about other cities and towns and he's spoken to us about other nations. So how do we feel about that? Are we ready? Rahab found faith in her house and in or her hostel. Are our homes open so that strangers can come in and find that for themselves? The spies didn't discount Rahab because of her occupation. They had a much bigger view. Do, our, do we have any prejudices? If we have, are they preventing us from going where God wants us to go? Or have we got mindsets that are like a barrier and perhaps we're not seeing the full uh, possibilities that God has for us, the ways that he wants to lead us and speak to us? Are we brave enough to touch the leper's life? Well, if we are, we can say welcome to our home, welcome to our life group, welcome to our gatherings. But let's all be like Rahab. Let's go to Rahab's house and be radical, have hesed, enjoy rescue, hear the reports, bring the reports and see what God will do through us, considering all he said to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.